Section 19 of The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. The Lord of Death and the Queen of Life by Homer Aeon Flint. Part 4 The Queen of Life. Chapter 6 The Translating Machines. First, let me remind you, said the Venusian, of our lack of certain elements that you are familiar with on the earth. We have never been able to improve on the common telephone. That is why we must still assemble in person whenever we have any collective activity. While on the earth, the time will come when your wireless principle will be developed to the point of transmitting both light and sound, and after that there will be little need of gatherings of any sort. Then he explained the apparatus. It consisted of a miniature head telephone, connected to a small metallic case the size of a cigar box, the cover of which was a transparent diaphragm. Estra did not open the case, but show the mechanism through the cover. Essentially, this is a word-for-word -word device, said he, pointing to a swiftly revolving dial within the box. On one face of that dial are some ten thousand word images, made by vibration after the phonograph method. Directly opposite, on the other face, are the corresponding words in the other language. The disc is rotating at such an enormous speed that, for all practical purposes, any word which may chance to be spoken will be translated almost instantaneously. He indicated two delicate, many-tentacled feelers, as he called them, one on each face of the disc. One of these felt the proper word-image as it whirled beneath, while the other established an electrical contact with the corresponding waves beneath, at the same time exciting a complicated-looking talking-machine. "'That,' commented Estra, "'is not so easy to explain. It transformed this literal translation into an idiomatic one.' Perhaps you will understand its workings a little later when you learn how and why I am able to use your own language. By this time the four had reached the point where nothing could surprise them. They were becoming accustomed to the unaccustomed. Had they been told that the Venusians had abolished speech altogether, they would have felt disappointed, but not incredulous. However, the doctor thought of something. "'Have you any extra records to be used in case we visit some other nations while we are here?' For just a second the Venusian was puzzled. Then his smile broadened. "'The one record will do,' said he, "'wherever you go.' "'A universal language!' Billy's eyes sparked with interest. "'Long, long ago,' Estra said, "'it was established soon after our League of Nations was formed.' "'Does the League actually prevent war and promote peace?' demanded Van Emmon. "'This has been a disputed question when the four left the earth.' "'We no longer have a League of Nations,' said their guide slowly, and instantly the four were eyeing him eagerly. This was really refreshing, to find that the Venusians were actually lacking in something. "'So it didn't work,' commented the doctor, disappointed.' but the Venusian's smile was still there. "'It worked itself out,' said he. "'We have no further use for a league. "'We have no more nations. "'We are now one.' 
and he helped them adjust the machines. The cases were slung on their shoulders, and the telephones clamped to their ears. When all ready, Esther began to talk, and his voice came nearly as sharp and clear through the apparatus as before. It was modified by a metallic flatness, together with a certain amount of mechanical noise, in which a peculiar hissing was the most noticeable. Otherwise, he said, I am now using my own language. If I make any mistakes, you must not blame the machine. It is as nearly perfect as I was able to make it. He then asked them what blunders they noted. Billy, who was the most enthusiastic about the thing, declared that they would have no trouble in understanding, whereupon Estra quietly asked, Do you feel like going now to try them out? Once more an exchange of glances between the four from the earth. Clearly the Venusians were extremely considerate people, to leave their visitors in the care of the one man, apparently, who was able to make them feel at home. There seemed to be no reason for uneasiness. But Fum Emon still had his old misgivings about Estra. There was something about the effeminate Venusian which irritated the big geologist. It always does make a strong man suspicious to see a weaker one show such self-confidence. Fun Emon drew the doctor and Billy aside, while Smith and Estra went on with the test. Said Fun Emon, It just occurred to me that the cube might look pretty good to these people. You remember what this chap said about their lack of some of our chemicals? What do you think? Is it really safe to put ourselves entirely in their power? You mean said the doctor slowly, that they might try to keep us here rather than lose the cube? Van Emmon nodded gravely, but Billy had strong objections. Esther doesn't look like that sort, she declared vehemently. He's too good-natured to be a crook. He needs a guardian rather than a warden. It flashed into the doctor's mind that many a woman had fallen in love with a man merely because he seemed to be in need of someone to take care of him. That is, the self-reliant kind of woman. And Billy certainly was self-reliant. Something of the same notion came vaguely to the geologist at the same time. And with a vigour that was quite uncalled for, he urged, I say safety first. We shouldn't have left the cube unguarded. I propose that one of us, at least, return to the surface while the others attend this meeting. Or trap, for all we know. All right, said Billy promptly. Get Estra to show you how to use the elevator, and wait for us in the vestibule. Van Emmon's face flamed. That isn't what I meant, hotly. If anybody goes to the cube, it should be you, Billy. If Billy did not notice the use of her nickname, at least the doctor did. The girl simply snorted. <clears throat> if you think for one second that I'm going to back out just because I'm a woman— let me tell you that you're very badly mistaken. Van Emmon turned to the doctor appealingly, but the doctor took the action personally. He shook his head. I wouldn't miss this for anything, Van. Estra looks safe to me. Go and ask Smith. Maybe he is willing to be the goat. The geologist took one good look at the engineer's absorbed, unquestioning manner as he listened to the Venusian, and gave up the idea with a sigh. For a moment he was sour. Then he smiled shyly. I'm more than anxious to meet the bunch myself. He admitted, and led the walk back to Estra. 
The Venusian looked at him with no change of expression, although there was something very disconcerting in the precocious wisdom of his eyes. Their very kindliness and serenity gave him an appearance of superiority, such as only aggravated the geologist's suspicions. But there was nothing to do but to trust him. They followed him through two sets of doors, which slid noiselessly open before them in response to some mechanism operated by the Venusian's steps. This brought them to another of the glass elevators, in which they descended perhaps ten feet, stepping out of it onto a moving platform. This, in turn, extended the length of a low dimly lighted passageway about a hundred yards long. When they got off, they were standing in a small ante-room. The Venusian paused and smiled at the four again. "'Do you feel like going on display now?' he asked and added. "'I should have said.' Do you feel like seeing Venus on display, for we all know more or less about you already? But the visitors were braced for the experience. Estra looked at each approvingly, and then did something which made them wonder. He stood stock still for perhaps a second, his eyes closed as though listening, and then, without explanation, he led the way through an opal glass door into a brilliantly lighted space. Next moment the explorers were standing in the midst of the people of Venus. End of section 19 Recording by Christine G. in Oslo, Norway The 18th of February, 2012